Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm very honoured to have my guest today. He has a very impressive resume. I'm not going to mouth off everything because we'll be here for an eternity. But um, just to mention a few things. So he is the chairman and co-founder of Directors Inc. Um, he was a former uh, chairman for Wintech Student Trust Board. Uh, he's a current trustee of the Boone Street Art. And he is a business owner of one of the Subway stores here in Hamilton. He was the former CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. And now he is running for a seat on the Waikato Regional Council, I'd like to welcome William Durning. Thank you very much, Reese. You have done your homework, haven't you? <laughs> Good man. Uh, the joys of social media. I'm suspecting a little bit of a look at my LinkedIn profile. I did, yeah, I did. Good man. Yep, I well, have to do a bit of research. Well, I mean, that's that's not even everything, too. Yeah, so. No, no they're, they're, it does go back a wee way. But I think that's the important part about those sorts of things is that, well curated, it can actually help people get a sense of the, the sorts of things you've been doing, and yeah, 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 um, and and also for yourself, a, a, an appreciation of the, I suppose that the traits and the attributes that you've got that you can then use going forward. But anyway, yeah, well, it's 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 always nice to meet people like yourself who've quite a long history of, of different work. So it's it's I'm hoping you can educate me a little bit on this um, before we get into the Waikato Regional Council stuff. Sure. I do I do want to know how how your business brain came about? Like, what, what was the genesis of it? Well, I might just it, this mic. Yeah, no, that's all. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, so um, one of the things I suppose that uh, I, I suppose is a little bit surprising is um, I've never been to university, um, apart from a um, an American history paper, which I just did for a bit of fun. Um, I've never been to tech, so I'm very much a homegrown uh, just in their boots and all. I was born in Turangi in the southern part of the Waikato region, down yep. the bottom end of Lake Taupo. And uh, we moved, my father was working for an Italian construction company called Cadelfa Cogifa, and they did all the tunneling that uh, produced the tunnel network, which then fed the Central North Island uh, hydroelectric schemes. Yep. Uh, and so the power that we're getting today uh, flows through the tunnels that um, the company my father worked for um, built and wow. uh, and then the irony was is that when he started to work for Codelpha, he was the only Kiwi, and he he was really quite excited. He was working on the Wanganella down in Get Deep Cove Manapuri, on that particular power project, and the Italians had said to him, "Look, we'd like you to work for us, lead the operation. You know all the people. You, you've got good networks, and that networks thing. I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later on." And he said, look, I'd love to, but I don't speak Italian. And they said, don't worry, we'll hire a, um, a secretary for you who can do all your translation work, all your, um, you know, the, the various bits and pieces in Italian. And uh, they hired, sight unseen to my father, um, a woman 20 years his junior, who was my mum. Oh, wow. So, uh, so yeah, so Dad, uh, we, we used to give Dad a bit of stick about him marrying the secretary, <laughs> but he um, he maintains till the day that he died that he saw her walking up the um, the pathway to the office in Tūrangi and said, she's the one. And uh, as I say, 20 years his, his senior. Well, when you know, uh, you know. You do. It's uh, funny. So, yeah, I'd, um, we, we lived, grew up in Tūrangi. Uh, then I went and finished off my secondary schooling in South Auckland, uh, in De La Salle. Uh, college and this was in 86 was my last year at high school and the year of 87 of course was the first world uh, cup for the um the, the all blacks were going to play in new zealand and i headed on a gap year as an exchange student to argentina um, with afs and spent a bit of time spent a year living in argentina and while i was there not only did i pick up spanish uh, 
But oh, I, wow. yeah, so I, yeah, yeah, I'll, this, I'll, I'll share this with you. It's a little bit, it's a little bit funny, but I arrived and I had no idea of Spanish whatsoever. I could say two phrases, "Quiero uh, un cerveza por favor," which is "I would like a beer, please." Yeah, and then I'd like "El dónde está el baño por favor," which is "Where is the bathroom?" Thinking that if I was successful with the first phrase, I would definitely need the second. And um, so that was that was all great. And about I was in the middle of nowhere in a, um, a province called La Pampa, which is the big agricultural plain in the central part of the country. A lot of cattle raising, a lot of um, agriculture. And no one spoke English. I mean, it was like being in a Faulty Towers um, uh, rerun. And people would say, hello, how are you? I speak English very well. And you'd go, um, you'd say, oh, hi, my name's William. And they'd go, which is basically I don't understand sorry so I realized that I had to learn to speak Spanish the only other exchange student in the town was a Japanese guy called Yishi Hishida and Yushi spoke absolutely no English so it was one of those things you just had to get in there and do it how how long does it take to really learn a language though I was fluent enough to be understood in three months um, is that because you were surrounded by people that were speaking yeah, it all the time? Because I would imagine that would be the best way of learning. It, well, it worked for me. And it, it's one of the weirdest things ever. You, Every noise around you that's spoken or that anything that's written, it's all in a foreign language. And remember, this is a time when there was no internet. There was no, yeah. no cell phones. You know, No I Google to, Translate. No, none of that. I used to write aerograms to my mum, and if I was really flash, I would record a cassette tape, and that would oh, be, wow. <laughs> and that would be mailed back to my parents, yep. um, who in turn would record another cassette tape, and that would come back. But uh, that that uh, mail could be anywhere from five days to two and two and a half weeks. It was just you know the postal service was reassuringly um, irregular. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, after about three months, I was able to to speak enough that I was understood. I've got a good ear for, um, for, for I suppose, for language. Um, I've got a good accent. I've got a very strong Argentinian accent. Um, I picked up a lot of the idiosyncrasies and words that Argentinians use. And when I was there, I was one of the families that I was staying with. She was a travel agent. And uh, I really fell in love with Argentina. It was, it's a country that even now um, really is um, really sort of very much at my heart. And it's hard when the All Blacks play the Pumas because I actually don't, I'm, I'm not pretty relaxed as to who wins, whether it's the All Blacks or the Pumas. And that, that does come as a bit of a hard pill for my wife, who's very much an AVs fan. <laughs> <laughs> and when it's the football, the World Cup, um, even though my mum's Italian, um, I'll always support Argentina over um, Italy. So it's, it, it, really, it really resonated with me. And the, so she'd said to me, look, New Zealanders don't know a lot about uh, Argentina. They don't know a lot about South America. You should go. You should go back, and when you go back, and work in the tourism industry, because then you'll be able to come back to Latin America, and you'll be able to explain to these all these New Zealanders and Australians about you know this what this wonderful place is, and that's literally what I did. I came back to New Zealand, and I enrolled in a couple of tourism courses, and then I knocked on a ton of doors at travel agencies to try and get a job, and I found a, a company that was specialising in Latin America. They would package up. Uh, land tours, uh, etc., and sell those to travel agents that called a wholesaler, and they were looking for someone to help out on their um, Latin American desk. And because I could speak the language, and 
I was full of fire and pretty much thought I could take on the world and do it, they um, they gave me a, a shot. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. And that sort of set me off. And so I've worked for the tourism industry. I managed to then get a job working for the National Airline of Argentina, Aerolíneas Argentinas, in sales and marketing. And then about 22 years ago, I had... Um, I was on the Amazon River of all things with the most amazing guy, John Lawson oh, wow. um, from Cauldron Lawson, which is a bit of an iconic um, Hamilton um, and New Zealand travel agency. And uh, John had said to me, well, look, you know, what's your plans? And at that stage, the airline was very keen for me to move into senior management and they would literally bounce you all around the world, all, all their various stations. And he said, oh, look, you know, that sounds fine, but you've got a young family, um, you know, you, you you sort of bounced every four years or so. It's a it's a very much a nomadic lifestyle. You really want to um, to move to a, a provincial town where you can raise a family. You can have a really good job. You can enjoy a beautiful environment, great community. You know, and I said, wow, this sounds great. You know, what are you suggesting? And a, another guy who was a travel agent from Napier said, my God, I think he's offering you a partnership at Calder and Lawson. And if you don't take it, well, I will. <laughs> So um, I came home and my wife had ironically said to me just before I'd gone on this particular trip, it was an educational trip where you'd take New Zealand agents and educate them about Latin America. And she said, look, I really think it's time for us to get out of Auckland. It was, we were, <laughs> we were finding it was, you know, hard to afford a home, ironically, <laughs> yeah. you know, incredibly cheaper than what it is now. <laughs> yeah. But, and the real pressures that, that Auckland even then was experiencing with really big growth and... And, and how do you cope with that? And I said, look, I've actually got the perfect opportunity. I said, came back and I said, yep, I'll, I'll sort it out. Just before I left, I left, I said to her, don't worry, I'll sort it out. Having no idea how I was going to actually do that. And got back home and I said, we've got an opportunity to move. And she said, well, how did you work that out while you are away? I said, what's well, happened while I've been overseas? An offer's been made. And she said, well, where are we going? I said, well, I'm not going to tell you, but let's go for a bit of a drive, you know, tomorrow. It was a Saturday morning. And... Uh, so we threw our two two daughters. So Samantha, our eldest, who's was just um, she was just five, going on six, and Claudia, her little sister, was was only one. So we locked the kids in the in their respective car seats and jumped in the in the. Um, we had a little Mitsubishi, um, like a hatchback type of thing, like a Mirage hatchback. Flew down to Hamilton, and my wife said, "Hamilton, really." <laughs> That's exactly the same response I got when I said yeah. I wanted to move here from Auckland. And um, I said, but look, there's this great opportunity. We 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 drove down in those days, Cordon Norse was painted pink. And uh, and it's for those people that may not know it, it's a, it's a beautiful historical building in Hamilton East. And uh, it painted pink. And my wife said, my God, is it a brothel? And I said, no, it's actually... <laughs> It's actually one of New Zealand's um, largest privately owned travel agencies. And um, she said, in Hamilton? And I said, yep, in Hamilton. And I think that was the thing that, that really then, um, I, I suppose for me, really uh, captured my love for not just this, the city but the region. And that 22 years ago when we first moved here, there was an amazing opportunity that as a family that we were afforded, you know, great work, great environment, amazing community. And it's been very good to us. I mean, I've, as I say, I've been in, in the travel industry. I've moved in into uh, fast food. Uh, I've had a previous to have a stint, as you said, is that the uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, there's their chief executive, you know, turning around that organisation, 113 years old, one of the first chambers of commerce in the country to form. 
Uh, and then I've served on a number of boards of both private and, not for, and not-for-profit um, organisations to help them do good things. And um, yeah, as I say, that, so the last 22 years have been amazing. Our girls now are growing up, our eldest daughter's now in her late 20s and our her younger sister is in her early 20s. Uh, they've gone out now and doing their own thing. It's just my wife and I at home with our three kilo attack poodle bouchon freeze called Vespa. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's. I still think the next 20 years um, ahead are just as exciting, if not more so. Do do these opportunities that come to you, well, do you chase them or do they just kind of end up appearing in your lap? Um, like how did the how did the CEO of Chamber of Commerce come about? Well, the so well, that, well that's a bit funny. So I was um, literally at my desk at Subway in Greenwood Street where I was working, and Samantha, our oldest daughter, who had I'd said to her, "How about a fate worse than death?" She'd studied professional cookery at WinTech. And then just didn't like the idea of working in commercial kitchens. It just wasn't for her. And I said, well, look, don't worry about the fact you've you've done the study. I said, you know, learning to cook is just such a valuable set of skills. You'll never, ever um, regret that. I said, well, how about a fate worse than death? Come and work with me. I've just bought this business. And I could really do with a you know, pair of hands to help me out. And she said, look, I'll give you six months. and um, But then I'm going to do something else. And about... Two years later, she'd come to me and said, look, William, because at work, it's always first name. Yeah. Uh, with all the kids, the youngest daughter loved it. She'd say, hi, William. And I'd say, yes, Claudia. And she'd say, how are you, William? I said, you can only call me William at work. When we get home, it's dad. She said, that's fine, William, no problem at all. Um, so Samantha came in to me and she said, William, look, I just want to have a bit of a chat. And I said, yep, no problem. And she said, look, I'm... She has been very much my my number two, and her sister, you know, number three, and that really helping me drive the business and and so forth. It was a lot of fun. She says, "Look, I'd like another challenge, and I'd like to really have a go at running the business." But you're here, you know, you're the you're the person that's in my way, and um, you know, what are we doing? I said, "That's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll step out, and I'll let you do something else. I'll let you do that, and I'll I'll find something else to do." And Samantha said, yeah, but hang on, mum won't let you just talk to people and drink coffee. And um, and I love coffee. So with yep. a mum being Italian, I drink a terrifying amount of short black coffee, espresso coffee. And so the standing joke at home is that all they do is talk and drink coffee. And uh, I said, no, don't worry. The, you know, something will, something will come along. And literally within a week, the Chamber of Commerce had announced that their, their previous chief, chief executive had had finished up, she'd gone to the beach to be with her husband and to um, to enjoy the life over there and that they were looking for someone to reset, restart and repurpose the organisation. And I know a lot of people and they, I suppose they'd come back to that thing about those networks that got my father the first job with the Italians. Yeah. Um, working in travel, you, you get to know a lot of people and I'm naturally the sort of person that likes meeting people and I'm always interested in what they're doing and where they're going. And so they, when I was brought into the opportunity for the chamber, they said, look, we need to reset or restart. Um, do you know anyone? I said, well, I, I know a lot of people and sort of gave them a list of people. And, I, and it was ironic because I'd sat down with them and said, look, I'm going to give you a list of referees. And they're a little bit different in the fact that not only can you ask them about what kind of person I am, but these people are also prepared to help work with me to 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 
you know, change and rebuild this organisation. So they were not only just advocates for me, but they were going to be advocates for the organisation, which was, I think, a little bit different to, you know, to normal approaches that they'd have. And I've got a lot of energy. Um, I love um, public speaking. I'm very comfortable in that space. I'm, uh, and I've got a real joy and I've, a, a real, I suppose, a, a gift of where I can see where things need to be. And I work really, really hard in building relationships with people to get there. And I'm, I'm not interested in any sort of adulation or praise for me. I'm more interested in the, the right thing being done and, and other people benefiting. Because if that all happens, then then I've had my success out of that anyway. Yeah. So it's it's that's um so yeah, that's how that opportunity came along. And I was up against some other really good candidates, but I got the gig and mm. um I sort of said to them, right, well, let's go. And so in about four years we repurposed that. The girls ran our subway and just as I'd finished the amount of work that I needed to do at the chamber and sat down with my board and said, right, it's time for me to go. We'd worked on the, the strategic plan of where the organisation needed to go. And I said, I think this is exactly what we need to do, but I'm not the one to lead it. Let's go to the market, find the new person to lead the organisation. And they had a huge turnout of some very, very high-powered and very talented people putting their hands up for the gig. And my chairman had said to me at the time, he said, you know, in all honesty, William, if you'd put your name in, now to try and get the job you wouldn't even get a look in i said isn't that great yeah you know, and and so that's you know i've been very I've, I've had a lot of fun and it's again that job i thought i had knew a lot of people before but i even know well i went to one of the events i think it was a week or two ago yep. and i met quite a few people it was yep. one of those free events yeah but prior to even uh talking to you on the phone i didn't really know what the chamber of commerce even was i'd heard yeah. about it yeah and i just want to explain to a few people that probably are listening to this and like what are they talking about yeah so the chamber of commerce is basically a networking um structure for business people yep. really for them to network and meet each other and uh, help each other out and obviously the waikato has their their chamber of commerce auckland has theirs i think wellington yep that's yep. right so they all have their different um chamber of commerces for the different regions yeah yeah but so how do you how do you know when you've you've spent too long or you want to move out of a yeah. role like how did you know you wanted to move on from the chamber of commerce for example so i when i first came in i had great clarity around what it was that i was there to do so the organization needed i suppose like a, a renovation on a house it needed to be given a good birthday good tidy up and and reset and restarted. And I could see in my mind very clearly what that would look like. Not all the exact components, but I, I had a very clear idea in my mind of the tone that it would have, the, the the people that would be wanting to come along and be a part of it right across the whole business spectrum from um, individual startup um, businesses right through to some of the really large uh, multinational businesses that we've got operating in the in the city and in the region. And the other thing that I did is I put a very clear timeline on myself as to how long I thought it would take to, to make that turnaround. And I said about three to five years. And that's that was for a couple of reasons. One was that I didn't want people to think that I was the chamber. So as I say, I've got a very, um, I am charismatic. You know, I'm, it's just one of the things. I love being with people and people enjoy being with me. And... I'm a good orator, and I never wanted the job to be me. I knew that those skills would be very helpful in 
re-energizing and reconnecting the organization to the community because the work that it does does is important. But I didn't want it to get to the stage where people would just look at me and say, he is the Chamber of Commerce. So I said, right, three to five years. And then you articulate that widely and clearly right from the go-get. And then it was a matter of saying, right, um, let's go. And you put then your pressure on yourself to deliver because the minute you tell yourself this is how long you've got, um, the, yeah. the clock's ticking. Yeah. I'm never, I mean, these things are always moving. So it would always, I was quite comfortable that it might be, you know, six, 12 months more. It might be six, 12 months less. But it was in that sort of a range. Time frame. And then you just sit down there and you actually get to a point where, and for me, it's always been about doing the job well as opposed to what's in it for me. Because if I do the job well, then I've actually got the things that are important to me anyway. Yeah. And I'd gotten to the point where I was looking at the upcoming strategy of where the organization needed to go, the sorts of things that it needed to do. And I looked at myself and said, actually, that's that's not me. And, and rather than being worried about saying, actually, I've done a really good job and it's time to say, you know, thank you and, and goodbye, I was actually quite relieved from saying, quite comfortable to sit down with my board and giving them lots of time because I really wanted that transition to be just seamless because that was then nice for the person, whoever she or he was that would follow me. And also it was a, the nice, that was the cherry on the top for the hard work that I'd put in on the organization to know that I could never be the organization. I had no desire to be the organization and that it would then carry on and grow and continue to grow. And I can sit back and I'm still a member, my business is a member. And I love the fact that I look at it and I think this is a really cool organization doing a lot of good things. And I've played a part in its, um, in its history. And that's very much now my approach to to the sorts of things that I do now is I'm more interested in using my time wisely to be effective as opposed to creating a space that just serves me. Mm. What do you think the number one important thing is for anyone doing business? Well, not even number one, I suppose. What are what are some key things that, uh, that you think are important the, I in think business? The, I think the first thing that you've you've really got to think about is you do have to put your customers at the heart of what you do. Yeah. And you've all the time got to be understanding what is it that they need. And sometimes that's really hard because sometimes they themselves don't really know. Sometimes they are so busy that they don't want to be bothered for to be, you know, to tell you. So you have to have a, a good degree of empathy and awareness of what's going on in their life followed very, very closely by the people that, that work for you. And you cannot do it all by yourself. Um, my personal management style is one that I'm, I'm there to support and encourage and develop amazing people and help them fulfill their, their greatest potential. Mm. Now, that's not always easy. Sometimes you give them a hug. Sometimes you give them a kick. Sometimes it's a stern word. Sometimes it's words of encouragement. And in some ways, it's very similar to being a parent. But your sole intention has to be that if you allow your people to do the best and be the best that they can be, they will be the ones that will have the best chance of understanding the needs of your customer. Mm. And then the last part is that New Zealand is a village and Hamilton's a, a tiny part of that village. I've and, heard, <laughs> yeah, I've heard a number of people say that. And yeah. it really, really is. I yeah. mean, if you, it's very easy for word to get out, both good and bad, I think. So yeah. You got to you got to make sure that when you're networking, that 
you're not burning any bridges and you're you're sympathetic and you're up um up front but kind and just open i think you've you've got to have integrity and integrity is a really it's a wonderful thing because you cannot demand it of people um you they you can't demand that they they give they 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 see you as a person with integrity it's something that is a gift that is given by people to you yes and you have to sometimes it's hard sometimes you have to really stand up and you know that because we're all imperfect no one no one gets it right all the time oh no i mean so, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's I'm, the nature, <laughs> nature of being i mean human. i get criticism all the time yeah. for this oh, podcast yeah don't worry I'm, i've <laughs> i've and it's hard because you you care but there's times where you've just got to sit there and you've got to stand up and say i have to accept that this is part of what i need to hear in order to improve sometimes it's justified sometimes it's not um but ultimately I work on the basis of saying, when I get home and I get into bed tonight and I lie down to go to sleep, can I look at myself in the mirror and say, I've done the right thing. It might not be the easy thing, but I've done the right thing. And if mm. I can justify that to myself and say, yep, I, I genuinely believe that I'm doing that, then that's that's it. So it's pretty simple. I mean, I'm just a boy from Turangi, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good. It's good. This it's is all um, educational, yeah. I think. And I, I think a lot of people can learn from this. Uh, to touch on the... Obviously, the the Waikato Regional Council. Sure. So, how did you make the decision to to run for the regional council? So like, where, where was where was the where was the transition? Where period? does it work? So, yeah. I had a lot of work dealings with the regional council when I was at the um, Chamber of Commerce. Right. So, again, as a, a very important local government um, organisation, I was very privileged to to work with them and um, over a number of various things. <clears throat> but I was. Uh, I was at home. I'd, I'd finished up at the chamber, and I was I'd had a had a day off, and I had a friend give me a ring and said, "Oh, what are you doing?" And I said, "I'm actually lying on the couch reading. It's great, you know. I'm not, you know, I've, I've I've been into into the store, and everything's running there fine. So I've, I'm I'm having a a lazy, you know, quarter day where I'm just going to read and and just get some some thinking time about what I'm going to do next. And uh, he said, "Well, that's rather good that." in that space because I've I've got an I've got something I'd like to talk to you about. I said, okay, what's that? Now, this was November last year. And uh, it said, look, next year there's the local government elections. And I said, whoa, 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 let's just stop right there. I said, I'm very clear I'm, I'm not going to run for, for the Meralty or Hamilton City Council. My, Why not? Um, the, my wife is actually a very private person. And she had to share me a lot with um, the Chamber of Commerce, right? Um, but she did, she did, she does feel that sometimes, and I can understand this, that sometimes the the keyboard warriors that we get um, with the the mayoralty and the councillors, yeah. I, I personally find it's it's quite sad. I know how hard a lot of those people. I know how hard mayors work. I know how hard councillors work to do a good thing, to do a good job. Um, and but that real public profile was something that she wasn't particularly comfortable with. And my first priority is always to my wife. I mean, she's stuck with me through thick and thin over twenty eight years. And I said, Fair look, enough. I'm I, look. I said, I'm I'm more than happy to work and help the council in any way I can. Uh, but no, that's not for me. And he said, well, actually, I wasn't thinking of then. What about the regional council? I said, mm. okay, well, yeah. I, he said, "Look, there's, you know, there's a few. We, there's names always. People are always talking about, you know, who who could be the next generation of of people that we know can, 
you know, build strong relationships, engage with community, think strategically about some of the really big challenges that the region and by default New Zealand has. And there's a few people who have been very impressed with what you've done at the Chamber of Commerce and, you know, why don't you think about it? And so that night when my wife got home from work, she said, how was your day? I said, oh, it was great. And I said, I had a bit of an interesting phone call. And she said, not, not tell me you're not running into, going into politics. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I said, but how about, how about some, giving, some you know, giving back to the community and looking at the regional council? And she said, who are they? <laughs> well, I think that's most people, to be honest. They're yeah. kind of like those people in the background that kind of yeah. do everything. And the only time you hear about them really is when it's something bad. I yeah. Find. Well, even even then, it's it's got a very low profile. And I said, well, look, um, she said, what do they do? And I've it was, very, funnily enough, it was not an unsimilar conversation to that I'd had with her when I'd said to her, look, I've been, I'd like to have a go at turning around the Chamber of Commerce as their chief executive. Mm. And she said, who are they? You know, what do they, they do? And when I sat down with her and talked a little bit about some of the responsibilities and the um, roles that the regional council have, uh, she said, well, that's all the sort of stuff you're really interested in. And I said, but I said, there's a big part around that connecting to lots of community groups. So one of the big things I would say that to the listeners, if they're, if they're really wanting to get one thing that would help remind them about what the regional council does, it's the word enable. And they, they do a huge amount of enabling. There's a lot of things that they will start and they will get going and then they will hand over to other groups to, to carry on the work. So they're very much around getting some of those really big pieces of work and those big strategic. Can you uh, give me an example? I can. So, for example, um, Te Waka, which is the Waikato Regional Economic Development Agency. Right. So this is a um, an, an economic development agency is a, again not unsimilar to um, uh, the the in chambers, but there is a, there is a subtle difference. Economic development, there's a huge amount of um, data that sits around how do we drive good economic um, growth across the region? Mm. What sorts of things are we doing? What sorts of things are we currently working on? What sorts of things should we be working on that can create great jobs that are, gonna, um, that are also going to be in harmony with the environment? And where do, where do we set the right signals globally and nationally to encourage private enterprise or public-private partnerships to come up and establish those businesses here? And how do we sit down with likes of central government to work with them on their bigger plans to, to drive, for example, those various initiatives? So, for example, the, um, uh, the PGF fund that um, Minister Shane Jones is currently um, going around the country and working with groups to find various projects to invest in, um, region, um, economic development agencies are one of those conduits that help identify those projects to get that central government money to, to get them underway. And the Waikato didn't have one. They've got lots of individual teams of people that are normally based within city councils or district councils working on local economic development. So within the city, within, say, Matamata Piako, um, Waikato District, Waipa, um, etc., but not a joined up one. And so the 
the mayoral forum, and this is the collection of the 12 mayors um, from across the Waikato region, had all sat down together and as part of a thing called the Waikato Plan, and we can talk about that a little bit later on. They'd said one of the one of the pieces of work that they said would really help our region be effective and grow would be an economic development agency. But how do we get one started? And how do we make it um, connect to the business community as well as to, um, to to local and central government? So it was the regional council that put in the initial work to get it up and running. Um, that when it got to the stage then where private enterprise said, look, we would like to get in there and support, we'll get private businesses, we'll give money to this organisation again to help get a clear understanding of not only what we can do, but where we can be going and to set those clear signals of what kinds of economic activity this region should be involved in and can be involved in, then the regional council steps back. So as I say, it's very much enabling. And a lot of the work that they will do is, you know, it, you, you might not see it immediately, but if it wasn't for them quietly working behind the scenes, setting up these processes, um, we would just be good instead of being great. I think there is some confusion, though, around the different councils. because Absolutely. So the district council, like the Waikato District Council, and yep. then you've got the Waipa District Council, yep. and then obviously the Waikato Regional Council, Hamilton City Council. Yep. I mean, I only found out recently that the Hamilton City Council isn't actually in charge of the bus network. That's a regional council thing. It's funded by the regional council. That's right. Yeah. So every time you get on a, a go bus that's yeah. charging around the city, if you look carefully at that bus, you will see a Waikato Regional Council logo. And if you're catching oh, yeah, if you're too. catching the double decker bus to Raglan, yeah. you'll see also that that um, has a regional council logo on that. And if you're taking the um, the, the bus through to Matamata or to Cambridge or up to Huntley and Narawahia, again the regional council are involved in in that public transportation piece. So, so, so would Hamilton City Council say come to the regional council and be like, hey, we want to make buses free? Yeah, so what this is, is think of these as partnerships. So what it is, is, and this is why I'm particularly interested in, in putting myself up to, to help, is that in this particular year that we've got four councillors, um, we'll, so I'll come back a step because I'll, that might help answer the question about public transportation. There are 14 councillors that are appointed from across the whole region of the Waikato region, and that's right. a very big piece of dirt. So you're thinking of about um, 22, 23% of New Zealand's North, sorry, North Island of New Zealand is the Waikato. So by geography, it's a big, it's a big, big chunk of, of dirt. Yeah. It starts at roughly at the Bombay Hills, goes all the way down to Turangi um, in the central North Island plateau, my hometown. Thames Coromandel is part of the Waikato region. It cuts through a little bit of um, the um, Rotorua and then throws over to the west coast. So across that whole region, there are 14 councillors that are appointed by locals from across that region to serve the um, as on the re as regional council councillors. Four of those 14 come from the city of Hamilton. So actually, as a city, we've got a big we, we've got a big responsibility in picking four good quality um, councillors to do some very important work that benefits not just us within the city but right across the whole region. Right. Um, at the moment, 
two of those four, two have um, decided that they won't stand again. That's um, um, Councillor Bob Simcock, um, who is a former mayor of the city, and Councillor Jane Hennebury, who's also been a long-serving member of um, the regional council. So we want, in my view, we want people who are filling those um, those those new spaces, and that will work collaboratively with those local government authorities like the district councils, like the city council. So in the case of public transportation with Hamilton, um, it's a partnership. So the regional council collects rates in your rates bill that you'll get. There's a small allocation that goes to public transportation. They will sit down with Hamilton and say, right, what are you needing? What, what sorts of aspirations do you have for public transportation? and then working carefully with them in partnership to saying, right, we can provide money on behalf of the region to help with public transportation. But it goes beyond just the city, it also then goes into the region. So it's that connectivity to the likes of um, Cambridge, to Te Awamu, to, yeah. to Raglan. I was reading about this, I think, a couple of days ago, where central government and Auckland Council have formed uh, a partnership, I guess, with a, a majority of the Waikato to form a well, looking at possibly like a high speed train, they want to do a study. I think yeah. So there's so there's if you think about New Zealand with five million people, we we're talking about the fact earlier on that it's a village. Yeah. Um, if you and I took a map of New Zealand and we put a compass um, point at where we are right now in in, in Norton, and we threw a two hour drive. Um, you know, we worked out a distance that was a drive, and we put a big circle of, of that sort of a distance. You would have over half of New Zealand's population in that yeah, circle. That's right. And if you think about clusterings of cities, so um, if if you think about our nearest neighbour, Sydney, and uh, sorry, Australia, so you've got Sydney and Melbourne individually now are getting to populations just about the same as New Zealand in total. So there's nearly 5 million people in Sydney, nearly 5, people, 5 million people in Melbourne. So as a, as a nation, as much as we should be fiercely proud of our own individual um, locations, we've also got to start thinking very carefully about how we work together for mutually assured success totally to, to compete with some of these bigger centres that are literally over the ditch from us. And if we take that cluster between Auckland, Hamilton and Tauranga, or the provinces of Auckland, the Waikato and the Bay of Plenty, you're getting to um, those those sorts of numbers which can start to compete, you know, with our Pacific Rim, um, you know, super cities that are that are growing and thriving. Yeah, well, I think I think Hamilton could become a, a satellite city of Auckland, and I think if you allow people the opportunity to maybe work in Auckland but don't live in Auckland yeah. and to commute there because, say, places like London where you can do that, yeah. it takes a lot of the pressure off Auckland as well. And then it also benefits both the Waikato and the Bay of Plenty. So I'd, I'd look at it not so much as us becoming a satellite of, of Auckland. Again, I, I use this word partnership. So I, I think you could have a situation where um, you could live in Hamilton and with good, high-quality, multimodal transportation, be working in Auckland, and then take a rest at the beach in Tauranga, and then come back to Hamilton within a, and within a day. Mm. And if you think about um, at a local level how that would sort of translate, will give you um, a, a sort of a, a, another example of that. 
you could live in Cambridge, go surfing in the morning at Raglan, and go to work then in Hamilton. And we can do that because of that connectivity. And it's that it's creating stronger connections and um, and, and linkages to those main centres that we then collectively can do better. So it's not us versus them or them trying to take us over. It's us working together to create a better opportunity that we all benefit from. Mm -hmm. Part of that is helping central government in Wellington to understand the opportunities that lie there. And in any of these good relationships, there should be advocates for each part of that relationship um, strongly canvassing for their needs for their citizens. But you also need organisations that say, that's great, we've got those localists who are, who are passionate about their particular patch and we need that because that helps us understand what those customers need, what those people need. Yeah. But we also need those connectors, those enablers to sit there strategically looking at the much bigger picture and saying, how? what are the common threads that we've all got? What are some of the things that you need that actually over here could help you and how can we help make those happen so that you, then you can you know, have, as I say, this mutually assured success? And the regional council has a really big part to play in does those it, sorts of conversations. Does it make it a bit difficult, though, when you've got multiple parties involved? Because as... as so obviously the regional council is one, but then you've got all the different district sure. councils. So, which, yeah. so say, we'll use the train as an example, yeah. right? So yeah. what, there'd be central government, you've got Auckland Council, then you've got Waikato Regional, then Matter Matter, Waipa, yep. plus the New Zealand Transport Agency, yeah, all got, these different you've parties. Got, you've got iwi as well. So yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. So you have to reach a mutual agreement that benefits so many different parties. Mm -hmm. And the bigger, the more, the more there are in terms of the parties involved. Yes, the the harder I imagine it would be to reach Your, a mutual agreement. And that's why getting people who like building collaborations, who like building strong, um, mutually assured, successful solutions, people who like who have got good strong networks are really critical because the alternative is that you say, We will stall, we will not grow, we will not develop, and we will force ourselves to go into amalgamation uh, effectively, well, to what degree does the amalgamation start with just the Waikato region? Does it then move to the central North Island? Do we literally have everything being um, in a command and control from Wellington? And people want to, to feel engaged locally about what's going on. And I come back to that thing you'd ask me about what's really important in business. It's being um, thinking about your customer. So And sometimes those customers are busy. Sometimes those customers don't quite know what they want. But it's the job of those to sit there and carefully think about that and say to them, well, actually, if we could do this together, would that be something that you would like? And people saying, actually, you're right. Um, and if, if I use the example of the connection to Auckland by train, it's not just train that this is the conversation it's about. It's about improving connectivity to Auckland and then improving connectivity to the Bay of Plenty because if we think about that circle, that two-hour circle from where the studio is right now, yeah, we have New Zealand's two major ports. That, Auckland and, and Tauranga. Which move, it would be close to 80 to 85% of all of New Zealand's imports and exports through those ports. We have New Zealand's most important and biggest um, airport, 
that moves by majority, the majority of our um, guests, um, visitors to, and New Zealanders to and from New Zealand. Physically, we're always going to be at the bottom end of the, the Pacific, and that's, that's wonderful. So there's that, those key pieces of in- infrastructure are critical. You have all the major financial industries. You have half of our population. We've got some of the most fertile and powerful um, you know, agricultural and horticultural land. We have New Zealand's most valuable freshwater asset. And if you think about New Zealand's most valuable freshwater asset, it's Lake Taupo and the Waikato River. And regardless of whether that's with a cultural um, overlay or a recreational overlay or a power generation overlay, all that kind of critical thing of drinking water. Yeah. That, now, that, that freshwater asset, the organisation that is responsible for the quality allocation and working with partners to make sure that that, re- that most valuable resource for New Zealanders is there for New Zealanders for the next hundreds and hundreds of years is, guess who? The Waikato Regional, Regional Council. Council. And and that's that's what really excites me about you know this particular opportunity if I'm if I'm successful. Yeah. How do you how would you prioritize? Anything though. I mean, because obviously from coming from a business background, you've probably worked in this type of avenue before, but sometimes when you want to, and this is the same with politics, is when you allocate time and resources to one thing, usually something else suffers as a result. So you as a a person, like, how do you decide when you're looking at multiple things? Yeah. Like, okay, how do I uh, manage my time efficiently and where do I invest the time and resources? Sure. This is where... The, the beautiful thing is I don't have to do this all by myself. Um, well, yes. and, and I came back to that thing about, remember the, the second thing I'd said about the most critical second component in addition to understanding what your customers need are your people. Yeah. So the regional council currently have around about 500 staff. Um, and while their main headquarters is in Hamilton East and Gray that, Street. That'll be moving to um, Central. Yep, there's year. actually another five other sites um, across the city where they've got teams of people, and so they're going to bring all those people together into what mo- what the oh. listeners will, I'm sure will know as the Kmart building. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And right next to the transport centre, which of course that public transportation, that's key regional council in partnership with the city um, business. And... Um, and then in addition to that, they've got staff across the, the wider region. So you've got some of the most, some of the smartest scientific, um, environmental, uh, educational policy writers that this country's got. And I'll give you an example, uh, geothermal power generation. So the, our region produces the majority of New Zealand's geothermal power generation. In fact, it might, might even be 90% of it. The scientific um, work that has been done on how you can draw hot water from the earth to then run it through the turbines to create, or sorry, through to create steam to, to run through the turbines to create power that then goes into the national grid and then reintroduce that water back into um, the environment. All the deep thinking on that has been done by scientists and staff who work at the Waikato Regional, Regional Council. Council. You've also got, so you've got some very, very clever people there who've got some really deep thinking on the, the detail. You've also got on that council, as I say, there's 14 of, um, 14 of you. So you don't have to actually have all the answers yourself. You're sitting there with your colleagues and saying, right, what are the big issues that are facing us as an organisation? Very competent 
and capable senior executive team that have been there for a while, they've got ideas. And so that's where good... So if, if people think about the council in a business sense, it's like a board of directors. Their job is to hold the chief executive to account and to make sure that the work that is being is supposed to be done is being done, making sure that they've got the very, very best person, that that person is given all the support to do the hard work that, that is in front of the organisation. It's then responsible for sitting down with the chief executive and the senior team and creating really good, robust, long-term intergenerational strategy and saying, how do we uh, create um, an organisation that's going to serve New Zealand? Because again, in, that, in our region, we, we're effectively um, feeding into that half of New Zealand's population. So what's good for the Waikato is great for Hamilton, it's fabulous for New Zealand. Mm. And how do we work together to create that? And then what are those priorities? And you're right, they are complex. Um, most people would remember the regional council's previous name, which was Environment Waikato. Yeah. And that um, they're actually, I love these strategies. It's quite simple, but in, within that, there's a massive amount of complexity. It has three pillars or three um, um, cores to their strategy. One is the environment, as you would expect. The second is the economy, and the third is community. And if you think about those three um, three pillars, think about them as a stool, an old wooden stool that your, your, your grandma or your, your, your parents might have had at home where the three legs have got struts that go from each leg to the other two legs. Right. And so when you're developing really good um, policy, you can't just think about one of those legs. You just can't think about the environment in exclusion. You've also got to be mindful of how that affects the economy and how that interplays with your community because each of those legs supports and is supported by the other two. Yeah, well, this is part of the problem I'm finding. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of political people and I've gone to political events mm. where people were like, we're just, their policy, they'll just be like, well, we want to do this. Mm. But they don't explain how they're going to do it, yeah, um, and at what cost, yeah. Um, because I I view it like a seesaw, you know. Yeah. With every decision you make, it's going to make someone happy and make someone angry. That's right. Depending on how much it affects them, sure, in their personal life. So it's a very, very, very hard thing to balance. Yeah. Yeah. And in some cases, you can't balance. So if you think about that seesaw, so that's on two axes. So this is literally three-way seesaw so it's kind of like a almost like the peace symbol it's sort of moving all three arms are moving simultaneously there will right. always be moments where a particular pillar needs to be advanced um, in priority against the other two to bring all three of them into better alignment mm. so if it was easier saying right we'll just sequence it one two three then we would have done it but the the, the hard part on this is that it's forever changing and it will continue to change and we, we continue to need to not only be looking at those, those three aspects but making sure that they're all in alignment. The second part, which is really hard, and, and this is something that I actually really enjoy, is you've got to deal with your stakeholders. We have, <laughs> you, you have that, and it comes back to that, that piece that we were talking, you were talking to me, asking me about before where you said you've got all these different groups that are always calling for different priorities to be addressed or to be acknowledged. And you've got to go to a lot, all of those groups constantly and continually 
and be saying, this is what we're doing. And you can literally go out there with all the very technical policy detail stuff, which is, you know, is is got to be there. But actually what's really important is to sit down and actually talk about the story about why we are doing these things. Why in some cases we're asking people to make a short-term sacrifice in order for us to have long-term gain. It might even be a gain that you might not see, your children may not see it, but your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will definitely do that. But that's sometimes hard to convince people to see that far out, isn't it? But if you want good governance, that, in my view, is a critical component of what you want those people to be doing. That's actually part, in my view, of when you're choosing those councillors to for the regional council to do a good job. They mm. have to be able to do that. They have to be able to, again, in my view, come, there's 14 of them. You don't want everybody thinking exactly the same way. We want diversity and we want different approaches. Here's the rub, though. We get that perfect diversity around the table, so we don't all agree. We don't all see things the same way. But what we also expect of those people is that they sit there and articulate their view clearly and and passionately and, and, and backed up with fact. Mm. Then they shut up and they sit there and they listen to their colleague on the other side of the table equally give their fact-based, passionate viewpoint. And I have to have the humility to sit there, even though it might be a diametrically opposed viewpoint to the one that I hold, to sit there and listen to you and say, actually, what Reese has been saying in this aspect here is absolutely right and I'm wrong. And it's then, a very, very hard thing to do. Very hard thing to do. Because human nature, Absolutely. it's easy to get defensive. and Without a doubt. And then then if you've managed to get through that part, that's only step one, because then the next step is that you and I need to find consensus. And we need to find a point that's not perfect, but that is actually the best of both of our ideas. And it might sit a little bit more towards your argument or it might sit a little bit towards mine but then we jointly have to own that and communicate that then to everyone because i imagine with any type of negotiation on anything yeah i'd imagine that both parties will have to come together and be willing to make <clears throat> some type of compromise absolutely because you're never going to get a hundred percent what you want no, you're Unless the right. other person is an absolute pushover and they just don't care. but And you don't want that. You want no. people... So you imagine that conversation. It's easy if it's just you and I. There's yeah. just two of us. There's 14 at the table. Then you think about our partners. We've got iwi and we've got multiple tribes that sit within the Waikato region. Mm. We have um, private um, business owners. We have um, other local government partners. We have... Um, uh, various community and, and, and special interest groups, um, be they environmental, be they um, renewable energy, be they um, uh, youth, be it, you know, whatever it happens to be. You've also got central government yes, in the mix. That's right. And a really, in my view, really dynamic regional council will be reaching out to as many of those, those groups and saying, this will not be easy. But if we can work together to find and work on the issues that matter most to us and try and find those places where it's not about our own personal perspective or us trying to win points just for our argument, but what's going to be best for us 
as a region, by default we're going to have a better New Zealand. That spins my wheels. I would imagine, though, that there would be some people, I mean, I'm not even saying we're just councils, but I think in general there's some people that are very stubborn, Yep. Refuse to move on a yep. on a on a point. Yep. Or they may be willing to, but it takes a lot and a lot of convincing. Yep. So I would then say, what's more important? Doing something that's easy, but not really making much of a difference, or really working hard and really putting in as ten, you know, ten times the effort that people would think is is insane to get the results that really make a difference. Yeah. I'm more interested. I mean, I'm I mean, I'm I'm now technically one of those old guys, those old white guys now that I'm, 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 I've heard about. So I'm I'm, I'm getting there. I'm 50. So, and I still think I've got at least 20 years of plenty of fuel in the tank to do some very cool things. And I'm I'm very fortunate. I've been blessed with the most amazing wife. I've got two of most amazing daughters. I've got family. I've got all the things that I could ever, for for me, were were big important things when I first got married. Mm. I'm I'm really keen to see other people who are coming to Hamilton, like I did with my family 22 years ago, who might be a little bit nervous about what it's going to be like here, but then look at the city and this region and go, you know what, we're home. And whether they're New Zealanders that are coming to the region or they're new New Zealanders coming here to to be you know, part of our country, we've all got something to enrich and that will make, you know, the, the whole thing better. And I'm more interested in putting down the, the the groundwork to allow them to be spectacular beyond what I could imagine with that, that hard work around, you know, yeah. getting the collaboration going. I want to ask you about environment and climate change. Sure, that because absolutely. Obviously, this is a big thing. Massive topic. Yeah, particularly with young people. Yeah. Um, I finally got around to watching a documentary last night by Leonardo DiCaprio, oh, Before the Flood. Yes. Yeah, yep. I was watching it on Netflix. Really, really yep. good. Now, the, this obviously is a problem that's on a global scale. Yeah. How, because there are still some people out there that don't believe in it. Yep. Yep. And it's it's hard to convince them otherwise once they've set down a particular viewpoint. And I've said this on the show before, but the problem is these days is with the internet, you can go on any site mm-hmm. and find some information that will validate already what you believe. Correct. So it, it's trying to push through that. And sometimes misinformation can go viral. Yes. Uh, so it, it makes it hard. Now, obviously, there are... New Zealand is, has a few problems lately with pollution, our lakes being polluted. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed with the river, the, the as it gets closer towards Narawahi and Huntley, it becomes quite polluted, whereas near the Hooker Falls side, it's it's great. But as, as you go further up the river, it becomes, it's, it's no longer blue. It kind of goes this tingy, kind of dark, greenish color. Sure. So how, how, how do you approach this, this stuff? Okay. So... What I would say is that the first thing is that if you really care about the climate, then you need to exercise your democratic right to vote. And the, the, the beautiful part about this country is that every three years from a local perspective and then the same thing from a central government perspective, we are given the right, and we're not forced to like they are in Australia, we're given the, the right to, um, given certain parameters, 
beyond the record ourselves on the electoral roll and then to exercise our right to vote. And then the joy, knowing full well that not only is that vote accurately recorded, but you're not coerced in any way to vote in a certain way. You've you've actually got your freedom to 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 exercise your view on who you want, that you know, to, to do that. That's that's a very powerful thing. So if I come back to those strategic pillars for the regional council, one of them is the environment, and we talked before about New Zealand's most valuable freshwater asset is the Lake Taupo and the Waikato River. Yeah, and so. The other side of things that people may not realise is that the, the regional council also has responsibilities that sit right out through to the 12-mile limit, so right out through the Hauraki Gulf. So there's something like about oh, 10,000 square kilometres of marine environment that the regional council also has a responsibility in. Um, so that whole piece around the environment, um, the way that our... Um, our region is affected by changes in the in, in the in the climate of the planet. They've got a responsibility in in that space. If you want people that are saying this is real, there is definitely something happening in our in our climate. We are experiencing um, severe weather um, conditions. We are we know that we have issues around pollution and things like. Um, man-made introduced components that are now getting into the natural environment and how those are dealt with. And that's not just about how we pick up pieces of plastic off beaches in, um, in say, the, the New Zealand or around the world, but how does that plastic actually get into the, into the economy in the first place? So it's right back to packaging. And as consumers, why we choose certain products and how we dispose of those products once we've we've used them. So it's there's lots of components to that. But let's be quite clear, there are changes in the climate. And we can either be responsible and say, right, we need to be focused on that and work towards that. Or we can say, actually, we choose to do nothing. Now, I'm not going to promise you for one minute that you know, you you'll get a great body of people in there that will be able to move, you know, these sorts of things on a dime. Um, the issues themselves around how we deal with climate change are complex. Um, there's understanding what pieces what pieces do we need to do, which levers can we move, which will make the greatest effect. Mm. And we've also got to be realistic in saying, at what cost do these some well, of these things happen? So yeah, well, look, let's let's say for example, so agriculture obviously is a big part yep. of New Zealand economy. Yeah, um, livestock, yep. meat, obviously. Yeah, now. Uh, methane gases obviously contribute to climate change. Now, however, if let's say, for example, you banned meat or something sure. overnight, sure. that would immediately affect so many um, businesses yeah. and, and farmers. Yeah. So there is a, there's a cost and it would greatly affect New Zealand in a negative way, even though we'd be positively contributing to uh, dropping climate change. So... Well, it's very, it's so very here's, difficult. here's the challenging part. So there's, and I'll, I'll give you a, a, a sort of account of you on that, and then I'll give you some good, yeah, yeah, some, yep. I, I think there's some good news as well that we can throw in there for people. So if we decided to stop um, um, agriculture and, um, you know, say uh, dairy farming or, um, yeah. or meat or um, beef or, or um, um, sheep um, meat production, 
there is nothing stopping other sovereign states around the world saying, okay, New Zealand's no longer producing butter, cheese, milk, meat um, in any form. We will ramp up using yeah. less environmentally um, sustainable practices to fill the void that New Zealand had. And what we do know is that when it comes to the production of agricultural products, we've got some very clever farmers and scientists and government policy people who have been working in partnership to produce um, those products with smaller amounts of environmental impact than people overseas who are being very laissez-faire. Yeah. So we have to be careful that we don't, in all the good work that we've been doing here, say, well, we'll stop that and then allow poor practice overseas to fill the void. That's and actually the, the, the net result for the country, for the world is, is poorer. The other really important thing that I would say to people, and I, I really, my heart does go out to young people who I, I can see get really anxious and very visibly upset by mm. these things because it can feel very overwhelming. I mean, when I was a young man, it was the threat of nuclear war. And we had, um, I remember young men and women of my own age who were really worried about um, the potential of a global thermonuclear war between, in those days, it was the, United, uh, the USSR and the United States. And what I would say to young people today about climate change is actually have a little faith because there are people who have been, who have also realised that this is a problem and who are trying to do some of the good work to, to give hope for the future. Now, we will not solve it all by ourselves in a generation. We need to work together for a long time to, to fix some of these things. But let me give you a practical example. So um, with, um, particularly with um, um, dairying, nitrogen is a problem, and particularly when it comes to water. So nitrogen, and, and normally that comes out through urine, um, through cows, concentrated into a patch, leaching through into the soil, and then finally, in some cases, 20, 30 years later, getting into main waterways and, and uh, degrading the quality of water by having higher no nitrogen content in that. Around Lake Taupo, one of our most valuable freshwater assets, right back as far as the 1950s, there was a cluster of people who had recognised that the intensive farming in that Lake Taupo catchment area was going to produce real problems for future New Zealand around nitrogen. And so there was a partnership between central government, so that's based in Wellington, local government, so Taupo District Council and the Waikato Regional Council, and private landowners and iwi, they formed a, um, a, an organisation called the Lake Taupo Protection Trust. And they have just recently, four years early than expected, and under budget, have actually sequestered for the next 1,000 years 170 tonnes of nitrogen, stopping it getting from the land into our waterways and affecting Mm. So there's some amazing work that has been done by organisations like that. And this particular um, trust now, while the work is, has finished on sequestering this nitrogen and, and holding it from back, there's a lot of work now around monitoring going forward 
And we've got lots of other waterways, which when I'm looking at saying, well, we've actually got a proven model here where we've used public and private money wisely. We've brought people together, and that wasn't easy. You had lots of people you know, on opposite sides of the table saying, you're out to get my livelihood, and you're out to, to ruin my environment. And all of those viewpoints being, you know, equally and severally, you know, valid, but finding consensus and working together to get a great relationship. So we've actually got a model there that worked. Could we put that into practice in other places? Are there other water catchment areas which could benefit from that particular process? So there's lots of good things that are being done. Some cases it's about letting people know that things like that are happening so they can say, yep, we've got some challenges, but actually there's some good things that are happening already thinking about this and we need to build on that. Well, the problem is a lot of news media today is all about clickbait. And yeah. unfortunately, negative articles attract more attention or more clicks. So wouldn't it be positive. good wouldn't it be good if you had, you know, people responsible that you voted for that you put into that job that are responsible also for being part of a connectivity to finding out what's going on and that, Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I do think some people vote sometimes though that don't necessarily know what they're voting for. They yeah. just vote without doing yeah. All the appropriate due, due diligence, yeah. Yeah. So I do think there needs to be research before people vote. Um, but yes, it, it's it's very, very important. I mean, so the other one I would say, come back to that thing about climate emergencies, That, and I, I, I don't actually have a problem with calling it a climate emergency. I think we've just got to recognise the fact that it's a focus. Well, I mean, I spoke to Andrew King, the mayor, yep. and, uh, a while back, and he said that he's not really interested in signing a piece of paper that says it's a climate emergency no. without doing, doing something doing yeah. something about it Absolutely. it's all good signing something saying yep, yep there's a climate emergency but Correct. then if you do nothing afterwards then it's a waste of time I, i'm not interested in being a part of an organization that's a whole lot of um you know conversation and no action, no action because no. ultimately i want to do things now if we have to use certain language to help motivate and focus in order to affect that change i'm pretty relaxed about that but let me give another example of where this is tricky. So we've got a, we've got as a, as townies, we've got a very clear idea of the responsibilities that urban Waikato people need to do, to do their bit for the environment. How about us and and what we do in insofar as moving around our city, and the amount of carbon and the amount of um, water and environmental impact that we have on the river, which contributes then to the quality of it as it as it moves through. And what sacrifices are we prepared to make in order to have a better, you know, environment for our kids and grandkids? And and this is where I would say that we should be very careful that we don't allow these conversations to become an us versus them. Um, which is very easy to do. Yep. And and it's actually about how together do we do these things. And I'm you know I'm I personally think that you know some of the big challenges are going to sit around how urban environments, as we naturally want to um, build up, not out. Um, well, I just saw that uh, I think it was in stuff actually that they're wanting to eradicate red tape or height limitations yes. in terms of how so tall that's you right. can build. So that's which which there are some cons to that, but there's obviously pros as well. So it's it's a matter of 
I mean, with every decision that's made, there's always pros and cons. Absolutely. So that's a city council um, initiative, but one of the things that that could have a positive impact on regarding um, the regional council's part in this is that if we've got greater concentration of people in in cities, it makes um, effective public transportation much more affordable and actually value, um, it's easier to make it more, um, uh, I suppose, cost-effective to, to be able to deliver. Totally agree. So, again, that's where these partnerships are really important, where we're sitting down and saying, well, look, what are your intentions? Where are you wanting to go? And then saying, that's great, because that could help with these pieces of work that we've got this responsibility for. So it's very much a us together as opposed to you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And at some stage we might have a Game of Thrones moment where we sort of crack each other. <laughs> yeah, and, that doesn't and it's work. What it, no, it doesn't work. It's, it's nonsense. And that's important because if we think about that land that sits around, um, you know, in the central North Island area and that golden triangle, We've got some really beautiful land for a whole number of reasons, you know, cultural, recreational, um, for, for both creating homes, for, for places for business, and actually understanding where things sit, where the best places are so that people have confidence when they invest, be it in a home or in a business or in a community, that they've got a sense that they can understand that people are thinking about that long-term view. Yeah. The last thing I would throw in um, about climate change is that um, we should give credit to our, our local mayors. Um, and when I say our local mayors, that's all those mayors across the Waikato region. So they have a, a group called the Waikato Mayoral Forum, um, where, oh, okay. where all the mayors come together, along with the chairman or the chairperson of the regional council. And one of they think of it as a as a group that then um, through a, um, uh, a piece of work called the Waikato Plan have special focuses and projects that don't usurp or, or override local initiatives, but actually support. And one of the ones that they have identified, so one of the pieces of work that they did was about regional economic development and saying, look, we've all got our own little bits that we're doing, but would be nice to have something that was joined up that would support all of our local initiatives, but on a talking about it on a regional basis. Another one they did was the conversation around um, uh, infrastructure, particularly around transportation. So it was one of the big supporters of getting the expressway through to Auckland uh, built. And I would imagine we'll, as that develops, we'll start there and looking at other modes of transportation. Yeah. But one of the other recently, and I think it's when I say recently, it's literally within the last week, 10 days, those um, that mural forum has announced that climate change is going to be another one of those major work projects that the Waikato plan is going to focus on in order to support and um, better coordinate the local initiatives that are being done by those local councils. And the regional council helps in, in bringing it together and, and enabling that and making that to work. So that's good for us on a number of, um, on a number of levels. Because you've got local work being done, but also that bigger piece around saying, how do we work together? How can we better sit down with Wellington and say, hey, this is what we're doing. It'd be great to get your support in these areas here. So how do you get this out to the public, though? Because the average Joe is not going to know any of this stuff. Well, I mean, you've just educated me <laughs> on a lot of stuff for the last hour yep. that I didn't even know. Well, so. I'm, I mean, it's part of it is actually doing things like this. So you, what you're doing 
is is hugely valuable because most of the time we'll go along to the meet the candidates functions. I went to one, oh, I think it was a week ago or two yep. weeks ago and it was it wasn't it wasn't the greatest. Yeah. It didn't really it didn't the the, the candidates weren't able to get their policies across. No. And they they're forced to condense a whole bunch of information yep. into these 30 seconds or a minute. And it's even the same with radio or television yep. where you know, particularly with political people, yeah. you know, they have to condense this into two-minute sound, sound bites, bites. Yeah. yeah, which is impossible to do due to the complexity of politics. Yeah, so you can imagine it's even more tricky when you're someone like me who's um, campaigning for an organisation that hasn't great got great, you know, recall for most people. And I'll go along to these various events, and people say, "Well, look, it's great that you're here, William. We'd love to have you here. You're more than welcome to come along as a guest." But um, Unfortunately, because we've got such a great body of, of men and women um, on both sides of the river who are running for local council seats, in addition to the number of candidates that are running for mayoral spaces, we don't actually have enough time to talk about the other race, which is the regional council. Mm. Um, but you know what? I don't mind that because that's just the deal. And I, it doesn't stop me from realising that's really important. And I'll just keep quietly plugging away at this. And I, I do believe that once people start to realise some of the things that the organisation does, how big they are. I mean, they their annual income every year is $145 million a year. So that's what they bring in every year from, um, uh, from across the region to do things intergenerationally focused for the benefit of our people. Wow. It's it's a they've got about five hundred kilometers worth of um stock banks primarily out towards the Thames Coromandel um you know peninsula, yeah. which protects about three thousand square kilometers worth of land. So if you want to put that into say football pitches, that's about seven hundred and forty thousand football fields lined up side beside each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that land there generates in excess of $2 billion a year of gross domestic product every year for the benefit of New Zealand. And the regional council are responsible for protecting that and making sure those uh, that flood protection stays in good working order, um, You know, protecting that land from those climatic conditions that we talked about before. Once people start to realise the roles that they have, civil defence, civil defence is all run, coordinated by the regional council. I didn't know. Um, yep. So um, those that's why I say they're an enabler. They they sit there and those some of those pieces of work which are really important but need an organisation focused on the region, focused on everybody, as opposed to a small part. Um, that's the space that they're in. Once people start to realise just how important it is, and that this year there is a real opportunity to introduce some new blood in there, thinking about the next generations to come. I'm hoping that they will realise actually this is a really big moment that they can make a real difference in choosing a better future. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of how it works. So, but you just got to keep plugging away at it. Yeah. So, do you, what's your campaign like being in terms of trying to get the word out there? Um, I think to be fair, it's 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 hard yakka. You know, you you because you're up at. I mean, obviously, the Hamilton City Council overshadows. Yep. Everything so much. Yeah. So how do you get your voice heard? I knock on doors. I have billboards up across the city that I've had um, 
good people that have been prepared to help me um, you know, promote my campaign. Um, I know a lot of people, a little bit of social media. I mean, a lot of it's just, just you just have to grind it out and yeah. you just have to just I mean, I'd, I'd love to have every single councillor, you know, mayor candidate and yeah. even regional and district council on here. But I just, I, I don't have the time to get everyone on. No. And people are like, how come you didn't get this person? Yeah. You should get this person. And, you know, I've been covering a lot of the mayor candidates in Hamilton. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there's so many councillors that are running. And I, I didn't even, I'm like, I can't even get counselors on here because if I get like <laughs> one, you'd have to, I have to get them all because yeah, otherwise then I'm accused of being biased, correct, correct. you know, so it's very, very, it's very, very difficult. And what I would love to see, and, and this is certainly something that if, you know, if people see that my style is something that resonates with them, is that rather than just six months or, you know, so of intense political conversation, local government political conversation that people feel bombarded with, that if I'm elected, just come and have a chat. I mean, one of the things about me is I'm very accessible. So on a regular basis, throughout the whole three years, rather than this tiny little segment at the last part of that triennium, is you sit there and have a chat with people and say, well, look, what's going on? And and having yeah. regular conversations, and then people start to realise, actually, I didn't realise that, and, oh, that's kind of cool, and oh, I can see how those things are starting to progress. And that's the sort of thing that I'm interested in doing. And I think that can help raise the awareness, not only of the good work that the regional council does, but also some of the really big things that they're trying to get their head around to give people the encouragement to be involved, to be a part of the solution. And that ultimately when people then are saying, who do I want, who do I choose? And with that democratic right that's so precious to make a difference, not just for me, but for my kids and for my grandkids, that they can exercise that that um that that vote well. Mm. Cool. Well, hey, I might wrap up here. That's absolutely fine. Unless there's something else. You no, no. Look, I've just been very, very grateful for having a really neat conversation. Thank you very much. Oh, that's all right. Um, yeah, I very, very much appreciate you coming on. I've just been educated on a whole lot. <laughs> when I play this back, I'm sure I'll pick up even more stuff because it's been a very, very detailed conversation. But um, hey, thank you. Is there um, where's the best place for anyone to reach you if they want to? Well, I am contact you I, or ask you any you, questions. So what they can do is they, um, I've got a, a website, williamdurning.co.nz. Okay. Um, I've, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and as you know, I'm on LinkedIn. So I think the easiest yes. thing they can do is they can just um, Google search William Durning, and my surname is just like Burning, but you put a D in the front. Okay. Um, and and that's that's the easiest way. But yeah, and and as I say, if anyone listening to this podcast is really keen just to have a chat. And I don't care whether it's three of you or two of you or if you've got 30 of you that, that want to have a chat about your region uh, and some of the opportunities ahead. I'm, I'm more than happy to, um, you know, for people to reach out to me and say, hey, William, would you like to have a chat? It's, um, if there's some coffee there, <laughs> as my <laughs> wife would say, I'd be, I'm, I'm a keen man. But the, <laughs> but the chat's actually what I'm really interested in because that way together we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll include all your... Um social media and contact details on uh on spotify and youtube um just for everyone uh listening or watching um make sure you like and subscribe and uh yeah thank you again william reese thank you very much mate. we might have to do this again i, I look i would really hope we can do it again yeah, that would yeah, be my yeah. absolute pleasure yeah yeah so um good luck with the election by the way thank you very much yep um i'm actually i uh, might be having the 
C- the current CEO of the Chamber of Commerce on here. Chris Simpson? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, Great. so um, it'll be an interesting chat. But um, he, I, I did speak to his, uh, I think it was his PA. Um, Paula Sutton? No, no, not Paula. No, 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 it wasn't his PA. Uh, Karen. What's oh, yeah, so Karen's one of the teams. So, yeah, yeah, events, so I was going to say, person. yeah, so yeah, yeah, Paula's, yeah. Paula's actually the real brains behind the throne. She she makes everyone there look good. Oh, really? Yeah, she's she, she and if she's listening to this, she'll start laughing the minute she hears that because oh, okay. she's the most um, quiet, hardworking person, but without someone like Paula, Kirsty, Karen, um, and Chris, I mean, it's a, it's a very small dynamic team and they all work incredibly hard. Again, it's that piece of work around working together yep. um, to, to make big things happen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Sweet. All right. Lovely. All right. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you, Reese. Cheers. All right. Thanks, people. Bye.